Did you guys enjoy last week's podcast, by the way? It was great. <laughs> I did listen. All the way through? Yes. Well, you generally don't. No, I, especially once I knew I was challenged, I did. <laughs> so, anyways, it's episode 59 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. I think we'll join this one in progress. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll leave that in at the beginning. Uh, we're your uh, weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. Uh, Ryan Tops across from me, and JP Barina's back. JP, how you doing? Just trying to live the dream over here, and it, we've got finally beautiful weather in in uh, Indiana, where it's like sixty five degrees and sunny, and couldn't be better. You also don't have as many books to read at the moment, right? How'd that go uh, last week with your what? What was the event? The academic event you had? I um. I had to go through a series of examinations on a whole lot of books and everything uh, went just fine. So now they'll let you do more research and more writing? It turns out that it's just a pass to be able to do more reading, yes. I think that's a crock. <laughs> I think education's a crock. Don't do it, kids. At this point, you should just like get a lifetime exemption from reading. <laughs> like You don't need to read anything more. I actually did have a moment in which I came downstairs and my wife was asking me how things were going. And I said, I'd actually just, it'd be great if I just stopped I, I just like didn't know how to read anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you suddenly became illiterate for no explicable reason. <laughs> Everything's squiggly. <laughs> Can you cipher out what these squiggles and lines mean? <laughs> Can you read it to me? <laughs> oh, so anyways, we do want to give a, a big thanks again to uh, J.R. Radcliffe and Paul Noonan. Uh, don't forget that J.R. hosts the Journal Sentinel Brewers and Badgers podcast. I know, Ryan, you kind of waited to the end to say anything, and he had to butt in yes, in the episode. Because yes. you, you challenged me again, saying I didn't listen. Oh, no, I heard that. Yes. No, he, he, yes, he made sure to get that in there. Which, it should have been right off the top. I, I should have said I something. I should have written off, that for you. I should have said something off the top, yes. As a good host. But he does have the uh, Milwaukee uh, Brewers podcast, and he also has the uh, Wisconsin Badgers podcast uh, on the Journal Sentinel site. Mm-hmm. And you can look for that in iTunes or wherever. And then uh, look for Paul. He writes for uh, BP Milwaukee. He also writes Packer stuff at the Acme Packing Company mm-hmm. and um, also for the Shepherd Express. Yeah, and he's probably uh, constructing another wonderful column right now for <laughs> this week's Packer game because he was a little upset about last week's game and it came through. And Maybe he, uh, enjoys, the balance. <laughs> Maybe he enjoys the balance of one, one, and one. The yin and the yang. <laughs> the yin. give and the take. Yeah, I guess. So, yeah. Well, at least one one uh, football team was halfway decent this weekend. So, uh, You can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com, or you can follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate our ball and glove level patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by carbon fort brewing from dragon flute to block party to fantasy factory ipa k4 specializes in english style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades out now is the october ale night call smoked porter and on september 28th carbon four is releasing downton appley downton appley apple ale it's a downton abbey joke Oh, no, no, no. I get it. I'm just the Apple Apple. Apple Apple. Apple Apple. Um, you can look for uh, bottles of this caramel apple beer in Madison and Milwaukee starting October 
first. And that's after, if you want to, you can go on the 28th and get it at the brewery. So check that out. Um, don't forget that we have a deal exclusively through Milwaukee's Tailgate. Use the promo code MKE Tailgate in the Carbon 4 web store and receive 20% off your order. Also, Fantasy Factory IPA is in cans uh, just in time to grab a six pack or 12 or however many you need, right? Ryan? Sure. How many do you need when you go to a tailgate? I don't usually tailgate, so. We just have a podcast called Tailgate. Right, yeah. Way, way to really live uh, live that out. So anyways, for the rest of you who do tailgate and have fun, uh, go get a few cans of uh, Fantasy Factory and uh, take that and tailgate in the Miller Park uh, parking lot. Um, Quick also, question. Yeah. Uh, how did you know to answer all of those tailgating games if you've never tailgated? I mean, I yeah like i've been to tailgates i don't normally do it <laughs> i like how you had trouble with naming one of the games which one was it well there were several yeah i, I yeah you you felt like you had to me, censor yourself i did yeah well first off cornhole because like that's a still a weird thing to say so i call oh. it bags sure right. and then so the technical name for the the game i was thinking of was actually called ladder ball Yes. And that's the PVC game. And I think I called it ball toss. I don't know what you called it. I, I had always heard donkey balls. You've heard donkey balls. We always have called it. Everybody I've ever been around has called it testicle toss. Which so, made what I thought sounded kind of like a dumb name sound good in comparison. I mean, yeah. But we've, I've, that is what it has always been called. So when I got to it, I'm like, oh, God, what do I even say? I'm like, uh, ball toss. You should have named all of them and tried to see if they'd counted as three different games. I, one thing I do want to ask, though, has anybody ever seen anybody playing ping pong in the parking lot of like Miller Park? Because if you've actually seen somebody like pull out a full on ping pong table, I would be impressed. I have seen beer pong. So Kian was right about that one. I mean, I guess if you if you have the ability to play beer pong, you probably just need a couple paddles and you have the ability to play. You can have like a bigger table. So, hey, anyways, before we finish this, uh, the brewery <laughs> Carbon 4 is located on Kisman Boulevard um, and. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon4, beer, brilliance. Yes, anything else about your tailgate? I no. was super proud no. of you, Ryan. I, yeah, I, I spent the first uh, five innings of that game like stress-eating peanuts because I did not want to be on a Jumbotron with 40,000 people. Because the best thing to do is eat salty, greasy peanuts and then uh, get in front of 40,000 people. Yeah, So I was, I, and then uh, there were multiple pitching changes in the inning in front of it. So that was great, too, where it was like, uh, we just kept having to wait to get up there and do it. You know, you, you go to the most games. Do you remember anybody who plays those games? Like, does anybody stick out in your mind? No. So no. you should have kept that in mind that nobody was nobody going to remember. Cares. Nobody Nobody's cares. going to remember you. Though there are, there are photos of it and videos of it floating around. It came up at work in the staff meeting on Tuesday morning. So, like, that was great. Yeah. Well, I guess as long as it wasn't the students. Well, yeah. yeah. So, hey, uh, Milwaukee Sailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a prefier, prefiero, prefiero, your prefiero, yo, audio, yo, yeah. your prefiero. <laughs> Thank you, Peggy Hill. <laughs> <laughs> They're your premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar winning films and popular TV shows. And it's also in JP's house now, too. Oh, yes, it is. It, 
I that's don't why know JP how, sounds so dulcet. Yes, you can really tell the difference. So, uh, and if you're looking to create a professional sounding podcast, so you can sound like JP as well, uh, check out the MixPre three and MixPre six for more information. Visit sounddevices.com. Also, find hosts who can get through the opening reads in less than ten minutes. That was less than ten. Was it? It was about eight. <laughs> that was a long one. So, um, anyways, yeah, we're kind of checking in here since for uh, two of us, it's been a little bit of a, a little bit. Of, it's been a while. Yes. Um, so uh, currently, we're watching the game right now. It's in the what, bottom of the eighth. The Brewers are up thirteen to four over the Pirates. Yeah. So they're looking to finally take a series from the Pirates. Yeah, it's been a, a slog. Though I think they did win one earlier in the year. I think that was retroactively taken away from them after they were swept in five games. Yeah. So, uh, JP, what do you do with a team like the Pirates where it just feels like it's an uphill climb like this? Are you glad that they're finally finished with them for the season? I just remembered that like two years ago, it was when the Pirates came to town, the Brewers. Like, wasn't it like two or three years in a row that the Brewers absolutely just like wiped the floor with the Pirates, even when I, the Pirates... I mean, this was like 2008, 2009, 2010. Like, the Pirates at Miller Park, I think they had like... It was like parts of three seasons where they didn't win a game. But the last few seasons when the Pirates have been good, like, bef- I guess before 2017, um, the Brewers seem to be that team that gave the Pirates a lot of trouble. Um, they could off and on. They the Pirates had at least one or two really good seasons against the Brewers, where they just you know sure. So in general, them. in general, I don't. I'm not too worried about it. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, there are six games remaining in the season. Uh, the Brewers trail the Cubs by about two and a half games. Again, we're pending. We're yeah. we're kind of we're kind of in that flexible period right now to find out what they're at. Uh, two and a half. Uh, they lead the Cardinals by a couple, and they lead the Rockies by like about three and a half. Yeah, pending whatever the result is there. Yeah. Um, so I guess as far as the Brewers' playoff outlook, I mean, how big is this Cardinal series coming up? I mean, it it is potentially very big, I think, for who's going to host the wild card game. I think that's really what it comes down to. Uh, not that the Brewers are out of the picture completely for the division, but it's going to take a lot of help. They're going to have to go, boy, I mean, they're really going to have to win games. They would need a series against the Cubs to really have a chance. Yeah, and I mean, you, they would kind of have to sweep it. But but that's the point, though. You need to go heads up against a team like that at this point. When I mean, you're talking about six games and more than a, a two-game lead. I mean, the Cardinals have a series against Milwaukee left and a series against the Cubs. They finished the uh, season against the Cubs. But the Cardinals very much have a chance to overtake the Brewers if they have a good series. Right, and which would then probably mean the Brewers going to since or going to St. Louis for that game. JP, how big of a deal is it to host the wild card? I would imagine you try to do everything that you can to maximize a one game series, right? I mean, there's so much randomness involved in the wild card in general that you want to try to get any kind of momentum that you can or any kind of advantage. So in terms of you'd rather host it than have to go on the road. I don't think it's going to make or break anything, but in general, you'd want to do your best to be able to get Miller Park packed with uh, with Brewers fans to be able to try to do everything that they can to be able to push the team to victory. Um, but in general, I don't think it's it's a if they have to go to Bush Stadium 
the wild card is not suddenly an uphill battle. But it's again, it, if you got to choose, you'd you'd much rather be at home. So now, if it is at Miller Park, who do you think the Cubs fans are going to be cheering for? You would oh, the Brewers. come on. You would second, think you would second. think they're rooting for the Brewers at that point because the Cardinals are the. You know, I, I was kidding. I yeah. said in in the playoff, if never mind, you missed it. Apparently, you t- I said in the one game playoff, who do you think the Cubs fans are going to be cheering for? Because you know they're the ones who fill up Miller Park. Oh, yeah. Okay. When I have to explain this, it doesn't work as well. No. So, uh, anyways, uh, Lorenzo Cain missed a couple games here. He had a bit of an intercostal injury, which I think we're all familiar with. We, we've <laughs> heard of those before. I mean, it is the Ryan Braun of injuries. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think that's quite how you wanted to say it, but yes. No, that is uh, exactly how it's I wanted his to say inju- it. It's his injury of choice. It's his free bird. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> When he's playing the hits, he's playing the intercostal. Yeah, yeah. so I, I mean, I guess, you know, he, he missed a couple of games. He returned for the Sunday game, looked good. So, I mean, was this more of a precaution than something that's going to linger? I mean, what he said was he was told by the Brewers, be smart about this. And he really wanted to be on the field on what would have been Wednesday and then Friday. And he did get a pinch hit appearance on uh, Saturday night. So he was already kind of back. Like it, you knew he was going to be in the lineup today because of how he did in that. You know that he came back and played on Saturday night, and really that's that seems to be what it is. And it doesn't hurt that they're getting guys, other guys' looks right now. They're going to have to make some playoff roster decisions, and just to you know get a feel where guys are and how they're, what their current approach is at the plate and how they're doing. You know, just that doesn't necessarily hurt things, but. It it was very interesting and nice that they were able to win those two games with Lorenzo Kane on the sideline because Kane has been their second best player this season. Oh, definitely. There's there's a legitimate argument that Kane has been as valuable as Christian Yelich. Right. It has to rest largely on defense, and that's well, because they, his defense has been spectacular. They play defense. It counts. Right, but you don't. How it gets measured is always the tricky part. You don't know exactly. Well, that's why people don't like to to base things on defense is because they don't feel as confident about it. I mean, you could probably make a case that his defense has been more valuable. Oh, it quite possibly has been. You just don't have the amount of certainty as to exactly how much more valuable it's been, right? That's the issue, JP, right? Well, but that's always because we'll... And, and baseball, I think, lends itself to this a little bit more than other sports, perhaps but we feel that we need to be able to actually have a value, like a numerical value that you can apply to something in order for it to count, right? We, we don't do very well in terms of being able to have a subjective conversation about we feel that somebody's defense is actually better because the, the whole thing that's going to come out then is you say, well, if, if Yelich is two wins better with the bat, is the, de- the defense offered by somebody like Baez or somebody like Kane is it two wins better than than Yelich? And then we're going to go in and say, well, positional value is going to you know make up this much of a difference. And then you know, if, do you use UZR? Do you use defensive run saved? Or do you use like a base running metric if you want to get base running into it? And all of that, in my view, just adds a false cert- a false sense of certainty because we don't know how to talk about it unless there's a number. Um, and so. For myself, I think I get into a spot in which I'm not 
if you want to be able, it's about whether you want to put a lot of, I guess, emphasis on the defensive value. If you want to put a lot of defense, if you want to put put a lot of uh, emphasis on the on the defense, then I think you have to get Kane into the conversation if you're going to have bias into the conversation. And I don't think that that's what anybody actually wants to do. No. Yeah, I, and it's interesting because we have seen Yelich. He continues to just kill the ball. I mean, he did it again on Sunday. Exactly. He is absolutely killing the ball. Um, so I guess, how are we feeling about his MVP chances? You know, I, I'm kind of torn on this. It's fun to watch, but I don't really care. <laughs> it, it no that that's that's this is the truth. same this is the same discussion i've been having with my brother is like it is oh, i don't really care it is well your brother's an interesting one because he's on the flip side of the cubs fans who are going ape shit for javi baez better win the mvp yeah and because to, to his because credit his point has been guys if we're giving out the mvp to the best player in the national league this year it's jacob Degrom, and like that's not a question no that's totally legit it's Degrom, and then it's scherzer yeah, I, I no. Mean, there's enough. There's enough space between Degrom and Scherzer. No, 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 no. Scherzer's closer to uh, Yelich and Baez and those guys than he no. is to. No, Degrom. Scherzer is closer to Degrom than he is to Yelich and and Baez. I think Breen disagrees with us here. Yeah, I wouldn't put Degrom as the best player in the NL. Really? Well, that's okay. That's a different argument. What's What's the argument that he's not? That I think I don't. I don't think that a, a pitcher is as valuable as an everyday player. So what kind of, well, we'll make this simple. What kind of war would a pitcher need to put up for you to say that they're more valuable than a position player? Like how much farther ahead do they need to be in a category like that, for example? So I guess I have two different responses to this. Number one, um, the best pitcher, there's a reason why there's a best pitcher award, right? It's, because it's the, hard to compare. And it, well, it's very, very difficult to compare. And you wouldn't need a Cy Young award if the MVP was not generally seen as a as as a best hitter, right? Like what is if what's the equivalent to the Cy Young for a hitter then? If if we're gonna start putting pitchers into the MVP. Yeah, I there mean, is like there the Henry Aaron Award. No, but there isn't one. But I mean they they did construct that, but it it really hasn't taken off. Nobody pays any attention to it. Well, okay, then I, I guess the question is there, and we're we're kinda really going off topic here, but do you think say- do you think that basically Cy Young for, should be for pitchers and MVP should be for position players? Like just, I do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I do, I do think that um, because I think I don't think that there's a reason that you need to have pitchers uh, in for an MVP award if you're already giving them an award for being the best pitcher. Um, I understand that people are going to say if it says mvp it's most valuable player not most valuable hitter but the then the question then becomes how uh which form of war are you going to use for a pitcher how much are you going to incorporate the fact that his uh that his performance has been um aided by luck right i mean you have that same kind of question for hitters how much of that is aided by luck how much of the fact is the pitcher actually being aided by the defense and how much are they being able to control and then you're going to have a conversation about should we use dra should you use fip to be able to try to isolate what the pitcher is doing on on his or her own and then there's a question of do hitters actually provide more value than than is necessarily given uh, into context because you know what they play both sides Right. Like, do you need to have a conversation about the fact that 
you are taking into consideration defensive value for a position player as well as they're hitting, where for a pitcher, all they're doing is just doing one thing, right? I mean, it's the same problem you run into with looking at the different wars for pitchers because how much do you want? Do you want to take the Fangraphs version where it's very much based on the peripherals and not based on runs allowed? Or do you want to take the version of baseball reference where it's very heavily dependent on what kind of runs they allow? How much do you want luck to play into it? So that's why generally I don't like comparing pitcher war to hitter war because they're so different and they're based on, and you have to make that decision to get there for pitcher war. You like, you have to decide how much you want luck to play into it. And neither answer is really great. Like no matter what you come up with, there's a strong argument to be made against it at the same time. Jacob deGrom has faced Jacob DeGrom I don't is, know, is 31 games, 31, well, 31 games, but he has faced a number of hitters comparable to, and, and well ahead of actually what the number of at bats, the best hitters are having. Like he yeah, has more batter pitcher confrontations. He doesn't then, have the innings in the field that a hitter would say. Then if you're going to have that conversation about how many batters somebody has faced, you're going to have to take into consideration defensive value to be able to put into that for hitters. Right. And pitchers don't have as many innings in the field to make that difference up. So I'm, that's I'm the thing that DeGrom hasn't been fantastic. DeGrom has been otherworldly this year. And I'm just su- suggesting that there is no compare way to, for me to compare other than I just think this person was the best pitcher by such a margin that I would rather have this person on my team this year than somebody like Christian Yelich, right? Like that's, that's ultimately what that discussion is and like who performed their job better um, is maybe what the MVP is. But I just think that it shouldn't be that much of a conversation. It's exactly what they do in the minor leagues. They have a minor league pitcher of the year, minor league player of the year, and they should or like a minor league position player of the year. And they should do that at the major league level, which is why MVP should just be the best hitter. Cy Young should be the best p- pitcher. And if you want to have a conversation on your own time about whether or not the pitcher was better than the hitter, th- that's great. But I don't think that should be a basis for an award. Well, I'm glad we did decide, though, that Yelich is better than Javi Baez. So, well, that's, I mean, fans so that's the thing. Hold on, Breen. You, so you do agree Yelich has been better than Baez. Yeah, but that's because I don't put as much um, emphasis on defensive versatility as somebody who would have to for Baez to be considered better. I mean, and all of the other things, like, because I, I saw, I mean, obviously, you know, Bleacher Nation, the, the Cubs blog was talking a bunch about this, and it was like, well, Baez is an exciting base runner. Well, yeah, he's exciting because he runs himself into some really dumb outs. Yelich has been a considered by any base running metric you want to look at. Yelich has been a much better base runner this year because he doesn't run into stupid outs. But he's still no a very way. good base runner. But he's still a very good base runner. He takes extra bases. He, I mean, you could see there was a there in this Pirates series there was a uh, a run he scored coming around third base where you could see he cut that angle perfectly. He absolutely cut it perfectly to cut the bare minimum time going from it was his first to home or second to home and he just absolutely cut it perfectly and turned what could have been a close play into not a, a close play at all so he's a great great base runner and really the only thing bias has over yelich is he plays infield and he does play it really really well 
Sure. And he can play a bunch of different positions on the infield, and he plays No, it really well. is, because if you check, like, Yelich's slugging is better than Baez. Uh, considerably, yeah. He has... Uh, I mean, they're both over, like, 550. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, the sluggings were relatively similar. They're similar, but Yelich's is, is higher. On base, Yelich is the on much base. better. Yelich... Uh, well, I looked at this. Yelich had, when I look, he had a 57-point advantage in on base, which means basically one out of every 19 trips to the plate, Yelich is getting on base, and Baez is making it out. And when you take that over the course of a full season, that's massive. It is a massive, massive difference. It's a few extra times on base a week, you know? Yeah. You don't have to convince me of it. So but it, it really does matter a lot. And also magic's not real. So, you know, stop with that stupid shit. <laughs> I mean, just try to have a legit conversation if you're a Cubs fan instead of pulling that garbage. So, uh, the other yes. thing, too, if you want to claim that, like, Baez is such causes such havoc on the base paths and yeah he runs himself into a lot of outs and i think that that's that's a given but so many people say he's you know he's so exciting it's power and speed right he's got 30 plus homers and 20 plus stolen bases yeah so does yelich right right like there's not anything to if you want to look at runs and rbi basically the same but yelich is such a better hitter that oh by leaps and bounds he's a better hitter in order to make an argument for Baez, you have to put so much emphasis on defense. And if you're going to do that again, as I said earlier, then Lorenzo Cain is absolutely in the conversation and Lorenzo Cain might overtake Baez because I, I think that Lorenzo Cain's a better defender than Baez is. Well, and Yelich's defense well, is not and, bad either. Like Yelich no, is a not. good defender in the outfield, not necessarily in center field, but he rarely plays center field in the corners, you know. He's a very, very good defender. Well, and I mean, the other thing about Baez is they bring up defensive vers- versatility, which he has. But just so because does, you have versatility doesn't mean you're great. Yeah, well, I mean, but he is Nick he is really good defensively. He is re- he is really good. But and I like, mean, we have Hernan Perez, Hernan Perez, if you want to talk about a guy with defensive versatility. And we're not pushing Perez into the MVP discussion here. No, but I mean, Baez plays those positions. They They essentially play the same positions. Bias plays them so much better. He's just a little bit better than Hernan Perez. He has, he has a legit. I mean, I, th- I think that's what an eighty arm on the infield looks like. I'm pretty sure that's what Bias has. I think that's an eighty arm, and like he legitimately gets to just a ton of baseballs. He's he's an incredible defender with a massive arm. I don't know. I can't put numbers on that. JP, do you want to do it? I was just gonna say. I think the vast majority of what Bias brings to the table is um he's fun right and and that's why so many i don't think re- he's fun at all well, i find him i find him annoying yeah <laughs> i actually like hobby Baez a lot i think he's a lot of fun um but he plays I for the cubs i find him annoying. i mean he's not personally the worst infielder they have on the cubs i think i think that they have they have worse people i think that hobby Baez is basically the infield equivalent of uh carlos gomez i like them both a lot he uh-huh. plays for the Cubs. I, I disagree. I yeah. just can't. I disagree. I, I, you were utterly disgusted when I said that. Yeah. I, well, I just can't. He if, plays for the Cubs, man. If, if, there was, if there was video, I think if you could have seen the look on Ryan and I's faces, <laughs> that would have really well, conveyed also, what our thoughts were on that. Also, like the secret part where I actually don't hate the Cubs. So it's <laughs> well, I do. So the Cubs can suck it. So anyways, we have a uh, question from Jeffrey Emenecker on Patreon. He asks, has... Uh, Domingo Santana shown enough to garner all the starts in right field against lefties. 
All of them. All of them. Um, I mean... Okay, hold on. So since uh, Santana's returned from uh, AAA, he got called back up with the September call-ups with the expanded rosters. Yeah. Uh, he's hit uh, 389, 421, and slugged 499. No, 944. <laughs> oh, 944. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Small difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, mean, he is, he, a lot of that is really, you know, he has the two big home runs. Sure, yes. He, he does not have a ton of uh plate appearances he's mostly gotten one a game and then he had uh a start against cincinnati i mean the problem with that is okay so who are you benching you're taking ryan braun out of the lineup uh, ryan braun's a better hitter than domingo santana like the thing about domingo santana is it's exactly the same concerns that i had about him last year he's still striking even in september when you're saying that he's had such a great uh month which he has again i'm not taking anything away from him on that uh, has a strikeout rate over 30%. His batting average on balls in play is 500. Well, it's actually, yeah, it's 500 even. And he's not walking a lot. It's only about 5% walk rate, which is fine. That's not to say that he's not hitting for a lot of power. He is hitting for a lot of power. He's hitting the ball uh, around the field with a lot of you know line drives, a lot of power in general, which would help you have a high batting average on balls in play. But when that goes away, he doesn't, again have anything to fall back on when he still swings and misses a lot and he swings and misses a lot in the zone which is a problem and so he's going to rely on doing a ton of damage on balls that he hits in play right now that's great but in general that doesn't mean to me that he's going to be an everyday starter when ryan braun for me still has better offensive tools across the board. i mean does he even have a place on the postseason roster i think he I, has a place on the uh wild card game roster for sure because you're only when you're talking about the wild card game roster, you're probably going to carry ten pitchers, right? Maybe one one guy to start the game, and maybe a starter who can give you extra innings if you get into that situation where you need it. And then that leaves you a bullpen of eight guys. That's plenty for one game when they should come in fully rested. So that's that's plenty. I mean, so you're talking about fifteen man, uh, fifteen position players. So a seven man bench. I think there's room for Domingo Santana in that discussion. I, JP, I mean, do you see him on the postseason roster aside from just like there's room for him? I mean, is there like a reason to have Domingo Santana there? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I think there is a lot to be able to say Domingo Santana is a right-handed power bat that you want to be able to bring off the bench, especially late in the game if you have an opportunity to do so. If you have a bench that on the left side potentially has i mean at least eric thames if not you know mustakis or shaw depending on you know who starts the game if they both start obviously you know thames is going to be your major left-handed bat but from the right side then you could potentially have scope santana and you know maybe keon broxton i would imagine that they probably probably bring um five outfielders and so if you have that as your bench, you don't have to worry about um, saving your best bats in the middle innings if you actually want to bring in a pinch hitter. You have depth across the board to be able to come in and maybe play your best card in the fifth or sixth inning knowing that you actually still have you know, aces and kings to play later in the game if needed. And so you're going to be in a much better spot to be able to do those sorts of things. So for me, you try to take the best bats that you absolutely can. I think you take five outfielders right now. I think it's Yelich, Kane, 
Braun, Broxton, and Santana. And then after that, you're worried about who you're going to take in the infield. It's probably, I still think scope makes the, the roster. Um, and then you're going to have Aaron Perez. You're going to have Moustakis. You're going to have Shaw. You're going to have uh, Arcia, and you'll have probably Thames. And I mean, I get that you're then cutting it pretty close, but I still think you're trying to maximize your your bat power as much as you can to be able to make a difference. Who's your speed guy for the uh, the wild card game? Keon. Well, Quentin Perry's in New York. I know, but you want Keon to actually use. I'm saying, is there someone that you can bring in to just run? You are making my argument for why you put somebody on the bench that the only job they have is to to run bases. But it's Keon. That guy will be Keon. He can also do other things, which is nice. He can stay in the game after you needed him to run. Right. Yeah. But Steve's argument is that you that Keon can do other things and that takes away from to just have someone who's a burner. The specialness. You yeah. want you want him to be unable to do other things. You want him Terrence Goring it out there. Yeah. Right. Terrence Gore actually like got a hit and did some other things, which was he finally got a hit. It's a good thing. This lead was big because Matt Elbers continues to be Matt Elbers. Look, sometimes you just need to soak up some innings, man. He is not making the postseason roster. (laughs) I think that's fair. (laughs) That is a fair assumption. (laughs) um, Interesting thing going into the postseason. Eric Kratz has started three straight games this weekend. He has. Now, he started with a couple of guys who are more location guys with Zach Davies and, and Wade, Wade Miley. Miley. Mm-hmm. Um, but has Eric Kratz become the primary catcher for the Brewers? Yeah, I, I'm wondering that. I really I, I can't say. We haven't heard, I don't believe. Well, you know, that's not like a designation that. that they actually have. Right. But whether or not we're looking at him uh, starting most of the playoff games, I think. I think it may be trending that direction. And that's, you know, you are, I think, I think you could fairly say you're giving up some offense to make that decision, but you are also gaining a considerable amount of pitch framing value that way because Kratz is an exceptional pitch framer. So, and especially with guys like, if you're going to start a Zach Davies in the postseason, you're going to want somebody who can, make sure that their strikes get called strikes and maybe well, hold on. Okay. So we, 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 again, we're, we likely have the one game wildcard playoff. I think that's the most likely outcome. Yeah. Is Kratz the guy for that? Or is that a, a Pena game with Shasin? JP, what do you think is, is with Shasin? Do, does Kratz start with Shasin or do they get Pena in the lineup to try to get a little bit more offense? Well, Kratz did start with Shasin this well, we were this talking week. about, yeah, yeah, he's been starting quite a bit. I think the way that it looks, Kratz is probably the guy who gets the start because I think defensively he's just, I don't want to say leaps and bounds better. Yeah, because Pena is a very good defensive uh, catcher. A very good catcher, but he's Kratz, not a great pitch framer. He's fine, but he's not great. That's sure, Kratz's main but asset. More, but there's more than just pitch framing, right? Like, and I'm not just saying like controlling it with your arm or or being able to block balls. And Which, by like the way, he had a crazy throw the other night. Yes. That one from the knees where he, he led Moustakis. Oh, yeah. Yes. That was insane. So, yes. Anyways, JP, sorry to interrupt. Well, I just I think that Kratz is actually a better game caller than Pena is. Um, I, I, and again, I don't think that that is taking anything away from Pena. I just think that Kratz defensively, in terms of being able to lead, mm-hmm. being able to lead 
um, a pitching staff being able to to steal some strikes around the zone doesn't give anything away with his arm. Um, and yeah, I mean, offensively, neither of them are that good. I, I Pena has been hitting the ball much better than Kratz this month. So that could be an opportunity to be able to go with uh, with somebody like Pena to make that argument. But I think if you're trying to maximize the pitching staff, you try to go with Eric Kratz. Well, and it, it could be a situation too where they go with Kratz to start the game and see where they're at. And if it comes to a situation where they need to inject some offense, maybe they do make the switch at some point and go with Pena. Or pinch hit for him and then bring Pena in afterward. I also do wonder, and this is something that is just pure speculation, so I have no idea if this is something they would do or something that they would ask. But if you're going to go with somebody like Shasin, do you go up to Shasin and say, who do you want to catch? Like, who do you feel more comfortable catching? And if he says Kratz, then go with Kratz. If he says, I want Pena, go with with Manny. Um, I don't know if that's something that somebody like Council would would take into consideration, but I also do think that most pitchers at this point have a preference for who they would like to be able to catch them. Um, and so maybe that is going to come into the consideration for a one-game series. I mean, everybody seems to be pretty comfortable with Kratz. Yeah, I like, mean... I, I mean, with the, he's not just like the personal catcher for control guys. No, and there's a reason that Kratz has continuously got big league call-ups, even though that he's not a great hitter. Yeah, and that is the thing. He's not a great hitter, but... You know, the way things have worked out now where other guys have started to hit. I mean, if you're if you're playing Orlando Arcia, he is not a complete cipher. He's been hitting fine. So you're not worried about and he should have had a home run today. But oh, are you going to? I don't know about that. That was was a home run. That was a kid reaching over the fence. It would it would have been really close. I didn't have an issue with the call either way on that Arcia potential home run should have been a home run. And also Yelich went yard after that. Right, so it made no difference. It absolutely made no difference at all, other than, I don't know, how people feel about Orlando Arcia. So um, we have a Patreon question from Darren Jones. If you could make any adjustments to the MLB playoff format, what would you change? Ryan, you want to start with that one? I know you always have opinions. (laughs) Thank you, Steve. Um, Yes, I would absolutely 100% change the wildcard plan. And I understand they don't want to have a full series there, even like a three-game series, that that's something they want to avoid. What I would do is I would go to the Korean baseball model uh, for the wild card, where wild card one hosts, and they need to win one game to advance. And that wild card two has to win two. Which, if there's any separation between them in terms of, uh, in terms of games, that basically works out anyway and if it's three four games at least now you're giving the team that has the better record over 162 a real advantage so that would be my that would be my thing if i can pick one thing i have lots of thoughts but that would be my one thing yeah jp do you have a preference on what they should change i think they should get rid of the wild card playing game and go back to just one wild card They'll never do that because they want to be able to bring more competition in in September. Um, they want more teams to have a legitimate shot. Like right now, if they only had one wild card uh, in the AL, it would already be more done than it already was. Well, is that true? No, Oakland, I mean Oakland and and New York are fighting it out right now. Oakland is actually a little bit closer than I thought. 
yeah. um, we'll continue with the idea that uh, I actually don't know anything about what Oakland's doing. Um, <laughs> I, but in, in the NL, you wouldn't have to pay attention to what Colorado is necessarily doing if it weren't like the Brewers basically would have it locked up outside of the fact that they actually do have to play St. Louis this upcoming week. Like that would bring a lot of uh, tension into that series, but they have a statistical advantage to be able to go in over the last couple of series to have that, that wild card locked up. And so I either think, you know, like my own, my own preference would be to, to talk about getting rid of divisions um, and being able to just kind of open everything up. But I also know that that's not going to happen. People like their local rivalries. There are positives for that as well. But I think my, I, I agree with Ryan that you want to be able to give preference to teams that have shown over 162 games that they're the better team. Because if you're not going to do that, the season doesn't need to be that long. Right. And that's, and, and it really that's, does need to be a, a different, you know, there, yeah. there's, they, they always say that it needs to be 162 games, not because they're looking to make as much money as possible, which we can put a pin in that and just recognize that that's actually something they're concerned about. Um, but it's always said you need a longer, you need a longer season because you need more games in baseball to be able to even out over the course of a season to actually tell who the best team is. But then if you're going to put in a playoff system that actually takes a lot of those advantages away, to me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I would much rather see them uh, prioritize the 162 game season, reward them for how it is instead of trying to come up with some kind of basically random one game play in because they wanted to be able to increase the competitiveness in September. So people were watching it instead of the NFL. So are, yeah, you, I mean, are you OK then with the Korean baseball model? The where you have you give that preference to the number one seed and that they only have to win one game to advance while the number two seed has to win two. Yeah, I mean, I think that's better than the current model, but I would just rather not have the play-in game. Yeah. I mean, I guess my big thing is, assuming the play-in game's here to stay, because there's, um, they could expand it, but... It makes too much money. Th- yeah, there's going to be something there. It would just be a matter of reseeding. Like, you, you seed, you know, one through five. So, for example, the Brewers this season very likely could have the second-best record in the NL. Right. And they're going to be the play-in game because they're in the same division as the Cubs. Right. So, you know, instead of having that happen, that you go one through um And this is being five. done in the NBA now. They mm-hmm. do this, and they, they, will, they will seed that way. Basically, you can make the playoffs by winning your weak division, but you don't get a great seed out of it. You know what I mean? You don't get that, that boost. And that, to me, makes a lot of sense also, where you're, <laughs> you're getting rid of that advantage for getting in and i mean like the ultimate example of this look at the 2015 national league you had the the cardinals win 100 the pirates 198 the cubs 197 and the uh, dodgers 192 and the mets 190 and the cardinals or sorry the the cubs and the uh the pirates had to play a one game play in it's absurd it's absolutely absurd especially when you realize that they play an unbalanced schedule so you know that the Cubs and Cardinals, those wins were more preciously won and meant more to get to those 97, 98 wins than the Dodgers and the, the Mets, who are in weaker divisions. Yeah. I, I, another thing I would potentially change is instead of 
awarding home field advantage for the the play-in game to whoever has the best um whoever has the most uh what would you whoever has the best record it it goes to whichever team has been hit by more pitches (laughs) (laughs) i was really waiting for something very profound there (laughs) and and came up with a tiebreaker that was like uh, fair play and whoever had the least amount of yellow cards ended up going through i think that steve's eyes just glazed over (laughs) I think that that would uh, dissuade people from throwing at our pit, uh, our batters. Yes, I, th- I think that would be the way to do it, and I can totally see that happening going forward. So, Either that or like a cooking competition or just something. <laughs> if we're gonna go random, let's really get nuts. Let's just be look, random. Look, I actually made I. This is something, and I think people thought I was joking, but I I think to make the All Star Weekend or like the All Star Week more enjoyable, they should have the game. And they should have a skills competition like the Home Run Derby, and that's fine. But they should have a day that's like they've got quiz bowl, they've got a cooking competition, they've got like woodworking, they've got darts, <laughs> like just something in which it's like I did not realize that Max Scherzer actually like is a fantastic cook on the side. That would be entertaining to me, and I would watch it. Bring out like Iron Chef to to do the judging. That's what I'm saying. Like, tell me you would not watch that. I would not watch that. <laughs> I don't know. You said to tell you. I would watch I, yeah, it. I would continue to watch that stuff as much as I currently watch it, which oh, is I don't. You both are ridiculous. Though. Well, you know, I got to stay up to date on Power Rangers, so I don't have time for that stuff. Uh, anyways, hey, Sean Andrews j- did ask uh, what our top three MV can- MVP candidates were in the NL. So we already went over, I, I think for the most part, it's Yelich and Baez are top two. I mean, do you yeah. see anybody else kind of in the discussion? I mean, you know, we p- pointed out to Grom, JP hates pitchers, so he says no to Grom. I mean, again, if we're not going to do pitchers, if we're going to leave that out, which, I mean, the precedent that's been set so far is pitchers are part of it. So then for me, oh, it would be to Grom because the precedent says it's fine. So you would you would have Yelich bias to Grom? That's just purely on war then, right? Well, no, I mean, I, I think that DeGrom has been the better, the best player in the NL this year. He has added the most value to his team this year. So it is war. I mean, I think that's, that he's... That's what you mean in terms of value to the team, right? I, it's not specifically war, but it's a general idea of war, yes. DeGrom has been the most valuable player in the National League this year. Yeah, I don't agree with that. But that's so, funny. you know, Sean here, uh, he pointed out that Goldschmidt would be in his discussion for it, which Goldsmith, Goldschmidt had a very interesting season because he was garbage for two months. Yeah, well, he started getting it going in mid-May, but yeah. He was garbage for two months, and then he was basically Paul Goldschmidt for the rest of the season. Yeah. You know, that kind of boosted him in the conversation. They were sending him fantasy baseball questions asking if they should dump him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have him in a league, so I totally understood. I understood the frustration. I was not going to dump Paul Goldschmidt. Did you bench him, though, Steve? No. I tried to acquire him in April. Oh, yeah. I couldn't quite get it through. Well, but what about a guy like that who, I mean, Arizona was making a push. Yeah, that's so stupid. I hate 
if anything in MVP discussions pisses me off, it's the well, what teams are I in it? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I I agree, but to say that doesn't somehow affect the voting is oh no, it naive. does. No, okay. it does. That does affect the voting. It shouldn't. It's dumb. But yes, I mean, so, you were talking about the, who my top three MVP guys would be, and it would be Degrom. I I don't know about Scherzer. I, Scherzer has been. If you look at DRA, there is less than, I don't know, a hundredth of a run, I think, between the two. Hmm. Like, yeah. they're extremely close in DRA. Okay. And Scherzer has pitched more innings. He's a bigger strikeout guy. I mean, Scherzer's definitely as good as DeGrom. I mean, I think the people who want to say that somehow DeGrom is lapping everybody, they're being a little bit... So then it is DeGrom and Scherzer, and then I guess Yelich would be the number three for me. So that would be, yeah. You would I go, think Yelich is clearly ahead of bias. Yelich you is would the go best. straight war. Yelich, well, no. I mean, Yelich is the best position player in the NL this year. Because I, as much as I like Kane and as much as I think that that's, Yelich has such a massive advantage in terms of hitting over Kane and Baez that you have to introduce so much defensive questionableness to it to yeah questionable yeah whatever you have to you have to bring defense so far into it that i just don't i'm not comfortable saying that i feel i feel confident saying christian yelich is having the best position player season in the nl yeah uh any last thoughts jp on the mvp before we move on and then we don't have to talk about it till i don't know november or next week um (laughs) no i'm gonna avoid all next week's gonna be all playoff talk so i for me, part of any conversation uh, on, and this is a longer answer than you want, and I apologize, um, but any any question about MVP comes into so many positional values because um, Yelich has actually been a, like he's been above average uh, as a defender in right field. He's been about average in, in left. Uh, he's played 115 innings in center field. And according to defensive runs saved, he's actually been average. Um, and Paul Goldschmidt has been the second best hitter in in the National League. And the only reason that he's not higher up in war is because he's a first baseman. And so then it's a question of, are you going to then dock him because he plays the wrong position? Because there is some, there is value tied up into just what position do you play? Because if that's then the question, I don't know what value to place on being a pitcher. Because if I look at the being the best hitter, the two best hitters in the NL have been Goldschmidt and they've been Yelich. Yelich has been the top, Goldschmidt's number two, and that's pretty clear and it's not all that different. The only reason that Yelich is so much higher than Goldschmidt in terms of wins above replacement is because of the defensive adjustments based on position. That's right, the and the quality of defense. Goldschmidt's a fine defender at first base. Okay. And so it's just about where do you place them in the positional, right? And so like there are so many building blocks into war that you have to just assume are valid or are reasonable. And to think about who like Goldschmidt can't get away from the fact that he's playing first base. He can't magically play center field because he needs to have a better war than other people who are playing but different positions, right? And that's again not to say that he has been as valuable as somebody who's playing center field as much as as you know, and as well as somebody like Lorenzo Cain. But it's very difficult for me to put all of these assumptions that actually don't have any, like there's nothing that actually says 
oh, playing first base is actually two runs worse, or like two, a, a win and a half worse than playing center field. That's all contrived. There's there's no basis in that, and it's trying to add some kind of, uh, I, I think like it's trying to add a numerical value to something that we intuitively know that playing center field is harder than it is to play first base, and you're gonna have to cover more ground and all of those things. Um, but again, like there's so much in there that is so difficult to be able to go into when you're looking at a single season's worth of production that I like to look at other things other than war. I think if I'm going to look at war, I'm looking at longer term value propositions. I'm not looking at who was the best player over the course of the entire season. Um, for me, I would go Yelich number one. I'd probably put Goldschmidt at two. Um, and I would put probably Baez um, at number three. I think that, and this boo, is something that boo, I, boo. <laughs> this is probably something that is outside of, because I think Yelich probably has a claim at that, but I also think that uh, JT Real Mudo has a claim at that as well, because he's so good defensively as a catcher. And I think that actually catching metrics, if you're a quality catcher, don't take into consideration how much you do. Um, so I think Real Mudo actually deserves a shout too. And that's one where, I mean, like, Assessing pitcher value is difficult. Assessing catcher value, I don't know how they're ever going to be able to get to a point where they can accurately do that. I mean, especially, right? Like, if you're talking about how much of a game you impact, like, as a catcher, not only are you hitting, but you're you're impacting every single pitch. Well, okay. For example, you said you thought Kratz was a, a great, uh, great at calling games. Yeah. What exactly does that mean? I think a lot of times, you know, we think like, oh, he's just, calling every pitch but i mean there's a little bit of working with the pitcher on doing that how does calling a game uh, i guess what is the total impact of that what is it and what's the impact well so in terms of calling a game it's knowing it's basically um this is something that we used to see with uh who was the cut goodness i'm gonna have to try to remember it's probably a molina (laughs) somebody somebody on the the brewers um but basically there was um, there was a time in which the the Brewers basically had uh, a catcher. Since I'm not going to be able to remember this off the top of my head, in which people like people like Sheets or um, younger pitchers basically just and Zach Granke I think was somebody like this too, where they basically just got up and said, "Yeah, I just I nodded every single, I just let him call the entire game." And I said, Damian Miller. Well, not was Zach Granke, but yeah, I mean, was somebody Miller before like, Granke. I who is catching. Who caught both Grinky and Sheets? That's a. Well, I mean, I'm Kendall. Just, I, Kendall caught Sheets, and everybody said Kendall was great. Right, but anyway, that's that's year. beside the point. Yeah, I mean, Sheets' last year was what two thousand eight eight with the yeah. Brewers. So, but um, so it it might not be Sheets that I'm remembering. It could be somebody like Gallardo. But basically, like you can sometimes talk to a pitcher in which they said, "I just not. I I just went along with every single pitch that was called." I didn't think about it. They took all that away from me. All I had to do was execute, and I trusted that they were calling the game for me. Um, that, especially young pitchers, that takes a lot off their plate where they don't have to worry about sequencing. They don't have to necessarily learn the, the tendencies of every single hitter that's up. The catcher knows that, and you can say, you've done the work for me. I'm just going to execute the pitches, and you can go forth and do this. Um, it adds uh, a familiarity to the pitcher as well to be able to say, you know what, I trust you that you'll be able to block this if I'm going to when Jeremy Jeffers is going to put a splitter in the in the dirt right like you he needs to be able to know when there's a runner at third that he can put that in the dirt and everything's going to be okay um and so a lot of it comes down to trust and that's on that's that's not quantifiable but I do think that 
there is a reason why. Um, and maybe this is just a baseball, maybe this is just a baseballism that, you know, doesn't necessarily mean anything, but we've always talked about why do so many catchers stay in coaching? And it's because they've always had to pay attention to the entire game and they are responsible for so much, right? I mean, it's basically like when a, a quarterback or even, I think maybe even a center in, in uh, football needs to be able to call the entire blocking scheme or needs to be, be able to call the entire game or a middle linebacker on defense to be able to call an entire defense and know where everybody is supposed to be. There's just so much that goes in, in that that's not going to be quantifiable. Um, I'm not saying this is not a pitch for Eric Kratz to be MVP, but you know, we could we could maybe put that forward if we had Uni Betancourt for All Star write in. That does say something that Kratz, who came over, was it mid season? When exactly was it? Uh, it was, early, very early. Was it? I was that? May. Was it May? Okay. Still, he came in at least six weeks into the season, and he yeah. had to learn the pitching staff, and he's been able to adapt that quickly. I mean, that's really saying something that he can be that trusted in making those adjustments in that short of a time. Yeah, I think it absolutely does. And that's why you all you do see certain catchers catch on team after team after team and they get called up even though they're not any good, right? I mean, Drew Butera was the the poster child for that for so long. That Drew Butera was the guy that you could put in any situation and he would know the game and he was a terrible hitter. Jeff Mathis is somebody like that as well. Like Jeff Mathis I think is even still playing. Or at least last year maybe was his last year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, Mathis, yeah. there was always that talk of like, why is Jeff Mathis playing over Ian Chris Iannetta, Chris, Chris Iannetta, Iannetta. Yeah. and it was always, well, because he, he can do a lot of things in terms of calling the game and framing pitches and people scoffed at that. And then around 2009, 2010, people found out, oh my God, pitch framing really does like matter to that level. And now but that Jeff- we can quantify it, people actually believed it. Yeah. Right. Jeff Mathis is uh, playing for the Diamondbacks, has played every single year in the big league since 2005, oh, has geez. a career wins above replacement of negative 1.1. 1. 1. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing that the uh, framing is the thing yeah. there. Hey, Hawk Harrelson just finished. Is this his final gonna, game or just his final game in Chicago? Well, I don't know if he's going on the road or not. It was interesting driving over here. I wait, realized, wait, wait, hold on. Does this mean we can put it on the board? Yes. Okay. Yes. I yes. Did. So what was interesting about that was, so Euchre is traveling with the team right now. He's out in Pittsburgh with them. So I'm assuming he's going to do playoff games wherever they end up going to. You know what? Euchre's not in that bad of shape. He can travel. It's just when you get to that age, he doesn't want to do it all the time. But he had stopped. No, but you get to the playoffs, and I'm sure he's like, yeah, whatever. Euchre has has declined to make multiple trips to Chicago for the Cubs this year. Sure, but now he which can that his... was always a thing. He would always at least go down to Chicago because it's just you know. <laughs> I'm sure when he when he doesn't travel now, all of a sudden you can say like, okay, now it's got to be first class all the way for everything. Sure, you save you saved the money on me earlier in the season. Now it's time to spend some of that cash. Sure, so. but I mean he's so he's in Pittsburgh. I'm assuming he'll be in in uh, St. Louis then, and like I don't know. I think Hawk basically just works home games at this point for the for the White Sox. I'm not sure, but I think he just basically works home games at this point. But I was going to ask you guys this in the end closing, but I guess we're probably almost there anyway. Um, is Euchre going to go to the finish line? Is he just is he a guy that will not relinquish? He's he's not going to retire. He will he will go until he literally. I, 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 I hate to say it, but like until he dies, like no. is he going to? 
do that? Because both think, we've seen we've seen a numerous announcers do that. Harry Callis went to the finish line. But I think that Euchre will do it until he feels like he can't do it as well as he wants to be able to do it. Sure. I think he also maybe was sticking around hoping for a playoff run, no World Series, you know? Okay. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but if, yes, this was a special playoff run that they make. Right. Like, if they go to or win the World Series, does he just say, hey, that's a good I wasn't going to say that. But, yes, I think that would probably be a point that he would then say, thanks, it's been great. And, yeah, I would not blame him. No. That would be great. No. Um, but I mean, otherwise it, he seems to enjoy it. He, you know, like I said, I've seen him roll into the, uh, the lower levels of Miller park in his Corvette before games when he gets there to call. Sure. So, I mean, it, it's not like they make it difficult for him to get in there and, and call home games. So I'm sure that as long as he can just do that. Yeah. As long as he's feeling all right and feels like he's on top of it. I mean, what we really need is for the Brewers to win the World Series here, so we find out we can we can find out what the answer to this question is. Like, if for no other reason, we can find out if Bob would just retire and be done, or if he would just keep going. Well, the I think that's that's, that's the reason I want the Brewers to win the World Series is for that. that. That's the one reason. That's sure. the reason. That's it. I I also get really nervous too about you know like I think about my my grandfather and he's he this is his first year not farming. Um, and he is 86 years old and this is his first year, not farming. Um, and I've noted like he's gone downhill pretty fast. No. Um, yeah. There is definitely that argument to be made when, when people decide to call it quits and they lose that activity. Yeah. It, yeah. it seems to we're getting like, dark here, but like, you know what I thought of was the Joe Paterno thing where like obviously there's a lot more going on there There was a lot going on there. but like paterno was seemed to be fine seemed to be doing well and then within three months was dead from cancer that he apparently had a while and it was like i i think at that point like people stop fighting well and i just think that i think that he's earned that that euchre is earned not not paterno paterno didn't earn anything um no take as much away from paterno as you can but euchre i think has earned the fact that and earn the benefit of the doubt and the the ability to decide what he wants to do. Um, and if he wants to be able to to come in even next year, if he's like, you know what, I'm going to scale it way back, but I still want to call September games, right? I don't want to call any games, but I want to call September. Like, I think that I, I think feel that like he what, wouldn't do that, though. I feel like he no, he wouldn't. But I'm saying if he wanted to, I think he's gotten the ability to be able to do what he whatever wants. he wants to do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll say that I think. You know, Levering and Grindel are really good. So they are so good. They are really they just sound too much alike. <laughs> <laughs> Which is well, I always thought that way about Jim Powell too. Yeah, Powell and Euchre used to kind of sound alike a little bit. I yes. suppose. Um, but since since Levering and Grindel are very good, it kind of allows Euchre to basically do what he wants. Absolutely. Like you don't feel like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, Vince, it's not a Vince Scully situation, right? Yeah. Where it, everything is about him. Well, because he was calling a solo game for 50, God, 70 years. I don't even know how long it was. When you called Mickey Mantle's like rookie season. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he I'm was just, a Dodgers guy, but yeah. But it was like he called a Dodgers Yankees. It was either World Series or spring training or something like that back in that. Right. Day. He's been, yes, Scully was around a lot. When you time. had seen that many events, 
you know, it's that turned it into a whole different occasion. So, but yeah, I mean, I, like I said, as far as the Brewers announcing team goes, I think Levering and Grindel are really good. So basically, Euchre can come and go as he wants. And it's not like an issue. They don't feel like, how do we cover the fact that he's not there? Does right. Tim Dillard then step in if Euchre were to retire? We've been talking about <laughs> we, this. We have. We have been yeah. talking about this in a private oh. chat. And that would change the booth in for for the radio broadcast. If that's the way they decided to go, that would change the booth because you'd have color and play-by-play. And yeah. even with Levering and Grindle right now, it's they call single innings. Which I do prefer. Solo innings. Though they do more crosstalk than I think we've but seen that's, from other people. But that's different. The crosstalk is different than play-by-play in color. Right. Where somebody's always yes. got to like fill the I, time. Yeah. But I think, too, the one thing I will say about Euchre and listening to him this year, um, and there's no shame in it whatsoever. I'm not saying doing this to criticize him in any way. But um, he has been a little bit more confused at times this year. Um, I agree. And, and like, it. there's every reason for that to happen. It's natural. It's normal. It's not a criticism. But it is one of those things that you do start to wonder, um, how long is he going to do it? Because is he going to just, is he going to go until, until he can't go anymore? Or is there a point in which he says, you know, I, yeah, I am getting a little bit more confused. Um, and I can't call the games as well as I want to call them. And so I want to, you know, and he could still even do promotional events for the Brewers. He could come in and do pregame events for the Brewers and not necessarily call the games. Like there are a lot of options if he still wants to be involved with the team. Hell, he could switch to being a color guy and do that because he's done color for broadcasts for 50 years too. Or he could just pop into games when he wants. Right, and that's fine. I mean, they could do whatever they want. And again, what JP was saying, hold on, what JP was saying, I've noticed it too, and it's also been a, we were driving last night, and I went, how many outs, Bob? How many outs? Like, See, again, people say that, and I guess nowadays with so much information available, if you're just following with the MLB at bat app or whatever you want. I was driving. (laughs) I still, I feel less of a need to have all of that stuff screamed at me at all times, which, which have been things that people complain about with Euchre going back as far as I can remember. Right. Euchre only says the score at like the end of the inning or something like that. And like with Scully, the the advantage Scully had was he was doing TV. So he Mm -hmm. had that freedom. There's information right on the screen. You can see what's going on. He can just add to that and give it the flavor that he needs. It's a much harder gig, I think, to do the – not necessarily harder. It's more demanding to do radio play-by-play. Because you really have there's to paint the full picture. Yeah, there's different information that you have to get across at all times. You have times. to really paint a full picture and give a, a very succinct. Whereas with TV, you can step back. And like Brian Anderson is great at this. You can step back and be like, let the moment speak for itself. And mm-hmm. just really not, you know. But, our, but, our part-time TV guy. Our part-time TV guy, yeah. I he really has become part-time this year. Euchre does that as well, though. Like Euchre yes. is very, you can just tune into a game and you can just hear the crowd go for a little bit and oh yeah like, it is it's, great it's really nice i love it i mean it makes me feel old but it's really nice to just have that on in the background sometime to be able to listen to the game you know if i'm cooking or doing whatever like or even just walking back from campus to just like have the game in and sometimes it's just nice to be able to go through and and i i will say that like euchre is somebody that if it's a blowout 
I still want to listen because he's going to start telling some stories. And I oh, actually, yeah, Euchre is better in a blowout. It gets more entertaining, right? Yeah, yeah, you don't. Yes, I mean, and you hate to say this, but it's easier in a blowout when the information's less important. Following the exact game action as it happens. Yes. So uh, you know, again, that's why I think Euchre, even if he decided to call it quits as you know the everyday or at least home game play by play guy, um, they would allow him to drop in whenever. And as far as Dillard, um, I don't know. I, I really don't know if they decide to change the booth to do that because he can't come in and just be Bob Euchre. And that's not even fair to say that he could come in and be, you know, a new Euchre for but the Brewers the, calling radio. I'd be interested to see what they do in spring training. Right? That's the perfect time to to start seeing what Dillard's going to be able to do if he, they do. He hasn't retired yet. As far no, as I, I know. No, I don't think Euchre? he actually... I don't not, Dillard. Uh, but oh. I don't think that I don't think that Dillard actually signed a minor league contract until almost the end of spring training last year. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean because it's not like he pitches that much. You know, and we were watching, you know, Brewers Live uh, the Cincinnati series when he was sitting in on Brewers Live and he was fine. I mean, he was entertaining. He got into a groove by the end of it. But again, that's different when you have post game you have a host, you know, tossing questions to you, you know, to find out something specific when everything's already happened as well. You know, so oh, you yeah. could you could talk about an event that's already happened as opposed to calling a game where, you know, I, unfortunately, like Tony Romo's become the model of player goes into the booth and then he starts predicting plays or something like that. Right. Which with football is also easier since they run set plays as opposed to baseball where, I mean, maybe you can kind of call pitch. Maybe sequences. a guy's going to start calling pitch sequences. Yeah. But, but that's not the same as then seeing plays play out on the field. Right. Like right. you can call a pitch sequence, but you know, majority of the balls aren't going to be in play. So it's not going to matter to anybody. Yeah. I mean, Dillard has, and it's not like other play by play or color guys don't call pitch sequences. No. And Dillard has, a set of skills that I think works well with Euchre in terms of being People feel like he can be entertaining. He can tell stories. He was never a player that his talent overshadowed baseball in any way. So he can go in and tell baseball stories without being like, oh, yeah, yeah. in my day, this is what I did. Yeah, Dillard has a great thing that um, Bill Schroeder has and that like has developed over a long period of time. Dillard was brought into be a clubhouse presence in, in AAA to, to help guys along, to be a mentor, to uh, liven up and and kind of glue together the, the AAA um, clubhouse because those seasons get rough and you need guys to be able to come in and be mentors and to be kind of the life of the clubhouse. And if you go back, and I know that people don't necessarily always like his, his videos or whatever, but like the AAA guys like fight to get in those. Like they want to do those sorts of things. Um, and... Like he's the kind of guy that could come in and just build a rapport with whoever is he's giving an interview with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what's what's funny with Dillard is Schroeder blocks his way to be the TV guy. Schroeder's not going anywhere for a while, and I don't think he should. No, I, I actually, think Bill Schroeder I, I, is a very good play-by-play or uh, color guy. So I, this Anderson or LePay and Schroeder, whoever it is. Uh, that's a great booth. So, uh, you know, it's not like Dillard has a spot there. It almost has to be radio and it has to be because Euchre moves out and then they're making a lot of changes. You can see even when national guys come in, when like Eric Caros comes in or, and they like sit down with 
with Schroeder. Schroeder immediately is able to read them and give give them the space and compliment what he needs to be able to do. He's he like so many people look to Schroeder to be like, you know, like give me some value, add some insight. Like that he can do that once in a while, but what he does is he makes the other he makes the main guy comfortable. He adds uh bits and pieces in there. His rapport building is great and he knows when to talk and when to not talk. Well, and he's and, been doing it for 25 years. So like you would hope that you'd build up I mean when we're talking about reps, Bill Schroeder has what three, four thousand reps, like in terms of games worked. You would hope you would pick that up. But he was the one who led, like he was the one who basically made Matt LePay comfortable enough to do that play-by-play call. He, like, that is true. Yeah, was he was the one helping him out. You could see when he was kind of filling in information. You could see when he was trying to make him more comfortable. He was even complimenting him on certain things. Like I know that I made fun of the fact that he always loves Matt LePay's ad reads. Like he just always talks about how great Matt LePay is at ad reads. Um, but well, he's a like, long time radio guy. He knows how to do an ad read. Matt LePay always says, and I was like, I was like, find you a, you know, find you a man that, that talks to you like Matt, like Bill Schroeder does. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But it's, it's, yeah, I think that Bill Schroeder has gotten so much better and there is no reason why they should be looking for somebody to replace him. I think he's, I've grown to like him so much. Yeah. So anyways, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash MKE tailgate patrons at the ball glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate. You can submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and we're in the Google play store. You can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's tailgate.